Holonet. Welcome to the Scum and Villainy Podcast. We just witnessed Gen Con. We just witnessed a whole bunch of new cards. There's craziness everywhere. I'm excited. You should be excited. Uh, let's let's kind of dive into it. So today we have our, our pirate crew consists of uh, Alex Robach, better known on the Galactic Holonet as Anti-Grapist, right? Because that guy does not want any grapes near him. It's grape-free now. We, we cleared the pirate ship. We also are joined by Mark Fletcher, better known as Sable Griffin. And we're going to save uh, our congratulations for our almost conquering hero, Lyle Hayhurst, better known on the Holonet as Sozin. So Sozin, congrats for Gen Con, man. Thank you. So, um, you know, well done. Um, what did just, we'll, we'll get into how you did maybe here in a little bit, but what'd you fly? I just, I want to know right now. Yeah, sure. I had uh, Han with Predator, Falcon Title, Luke Skywalker, C-3PO, and Engine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a big, nice, fat Han, 64 points. And then I paired him up with uh, Jake, and Jake also had Title, and he had um, Veteran Instincts, Push the Limit, Auto Thrusters, and Proton Rockets. And you did pretty well with it. Uh, yeah, I finished fourth in Swiss, um, and I got eliminated by our pal Fildo um, in the first round of Top 16. In a really close game, the listed very well. Cool, awesome. We're going to get into that. Mark, you also went to Gen Con. Um, I did. How did that go? It didn't go as well as Sozin. <laughs> I took my list that I won the regionals with. So that's Boba Fett with Tactician, Veteran Instincts, Engine Upgrade, Proton Bomb, mm-hmm. IG88B. With heavy laser cannon, auto thrusters, advanced sensors, and veteran instincts. Mm-hmm. Hey, it's a list that I've flown a lot. I know well. The best way I can put this is I had a bad day. <laughs> and I knew this was going to be a bad day the night before, where I just couldn't get to sleep. Where, like, I, I ended up with two hours of sleep because most of the night I was just sitting there calculating how much sleep I would get if I fell asleep at this moment. Oh, God. (laughs) So I knew this was going to be a bad day. I used my buy, then proceeded to lose my next three rounds. At the end of those three rounds, uh, it was all, I mean, my dice were terrible. Every time I took a risk, it didn't pay off. And it was, I made a couple mistakes, but for the most part, it was... I would trade shots, you know, against somebody who didn't have any tokens when I did, and they would do four damage and I would do one. I had IG-88 versus Chewie and did no damage for three rounds. Mm-hmm. So at round four, my third round, I realized I was getting frustrated and kind of in the spirit of fly casual, I dropped from the tournament because I just, I didn't want to ruin my entire weekend. Well, you're at Gen Con. You're yeah, exactly. Down, right? Like, so there's, I mean, playing, if you're not having any fun playing uh, a game and there's a lot of other awesome stuff to do, you got to, especially if you're somewhere like that, like you got to go. Exactly. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you see any, uh, any lists that were, that were, did you just run into a lot of counters or, or how did that, cause that, is that some of the reason why you lost? I'm just curious, like. Not really, because I, I encountered two 
dual IGs, which usually mm-hmm. I can run rings around. Yeah, we we talked about that. That's one of the reasons why it excels as it sells, especially against those kind of lists. And then I ran into a core and chewy list, another list that I can deal with. And it was just I was not firing on all cylinders and mm-hmm. my dice were doing me no favors. And, well, yeah, and when you, you know, when you've got two ships you need to basically not make mistakes because if correct. You, because if you get blown up, you've got one ship left. Yes. It's a little bit less forgiving. And that and that makes sense, especially on um large ships with big holes for them yes. to get shot at. I mean, I, probably one of the reasons why you have uh, Boba Fett, but that makes sense. Uh, did you see any cool lists uh, that, that you had to fly against? Uh, not that I flew against. I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to what was in the tournament. I know there was some interesting lists out there, but most of what I saw was fairly common. So, I did have to okay, say, I saw a list that was a bounty hunter and three shuttles. And I don't know what was all on them, but I know that's, that sounds like Dom's list. That was an intimidating list. They were all painted silver and on the shuttles, he had replaced the guns on the shuttle with ones that had flashing lights. (laughs) It looked so good. And the engines light up and it was, it was beautiful. Awesome. That is so cool. And I love me some hippo shuttle buses. Like anything that involves those is there's so much fun. Yes. Um, so that's awesome. Didn't Dom place very well, um, with a similar list? Uh, if I remember correctly, it was last Gen Con, right? Yeah. He made the cut last year at Gen Con. Yeah. It is a very mean list if you're strong with it, especially if you can get shots. Um, okay, cool. Um, did you have fun at Gen Con? I had a lot of fun. What, it's a fantastic you, experience. What did you, what was your favorite thing at Gen Con other than uh, X-Wing? And uh, X-Wing may not have been your favorite thing. It was just hanging out with people, people I met there or had seen at other events, sitting down and all of my opponents commenting how much they loved our show or mm-hmm. loved my articles or how much they just loved the game in general. The mm-hmm. conversations there are wonderful. Awesome. It's it's one of those places where if you've never been, we're so conditioned in our daily life to ignore the people around us mm-hmm. because we don't necessarily know where they come from. But now when you're at a convention like this, you have something in common with that person right there. Mm-hmm. So just striking up conversations with strangers and having fascinating, geeky conversations. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful yeah. time. That's, I want to go. I, it is on my bucket list of things that I have to do just because there's basically everything I like to do is there. So, so I should go. My final point is mm-hmm. if you are trying to have the most competitive X-Wing experience, you go to Worlds. But mm-hmm. if you want to have the best weekend of gaming, you go to Gen Con. That sounds really, really fun. So let's kind of dig into Gen Con a little bit. Let's move on to Sozin since you made it um, to the cut. And so tell me about your Gen Con experience when it comes to how you played um, and what you saw, that sort of thing. Sure. Yeah. So for me, like Gen Con started with the Chicago Regionals because I took to Chicago the same list that I uh, placed top eight at in Wisconsin at the Regionals there, which was – 
two B-Wings with fire control systems, Title and Tactician, two Bandits, and um, Dress Hog, so just the gold with R3A2 plus an Auto Blaster turret. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's a control list. We talked about it in the last podcast. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, like Jeff pointed out, uh, by the way, Jeff can't be with us tonight um, for everyone wondering where Jeff is. Uh, unfortunately, he couldn't join us. Um, so Theorist is uh, getting repaired uh, in the repair shop. He's being upgraded to Windows 10. Oh, <laughs> no, man. <laughs> it's true. It really is. Um, anyways, uh, so, yeah, um, so you were talking about your control list, right? Yeah, so I decided to take it to Chicago because I was pretty convinced I wanted to play it at Gen Con, and I wanted more practice. Mm-hmm. The Friday night before Chicago Regional, I, I feel a little tickle in the back of my throat, and I realize that I'm starting to get sick. Mm-hmm. Saturday morning, I've now got a sore throat. I'm fully congested, and I've started to cough. Did you get the the, the crud, the the gin crud? Uh, well, no, this was before Gen Con. This is like okay, prior, sorry. Pr- prior to the Chicago Regional. Sure. Um, and by the second round of the Regional, my fever had started, and I had lost my first game to a chirpy uh, Sintra list, mm-hmm. where um, you know that that kind of classic moment comes down when you're playing a control list versus the Imperials. Or really against any any list that's got a big boosting ship in it, mm-hmm. where you've got one chance to get the block. You've, I had that one moment, and I missked it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like one barrel roll would be, I would have had it, and I could have gunned down Chirpy, and um, then I just gotta you know pick off Sunter uh, once I get him stressed with the bees. Mm-hmm. Um, but I missed the block, and Sunter went or Ch- Chirpy went into a big boosting kind of fly around the map mode, mm-hmm. and my poor little bee wings just could not uh, chase him around in time. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you know the thing with that matchup is you got to kill, you have to kill Chirpy because he's he's got all the points, right? You know, if you destroy Sunter first, you'll spend a lot of time trying to do it, mm-hmm. and you'll end up just getting uh, uh, losing the MOV game to where you can kill the other ship in in enough time with the guns that you have, right? Um, so I had to go hell or high water for Chirpy, and I couldn't get it, and I lost. And then the second round, I had a kind of mirror match matchup versus four B wings with. Um, fire control systems, two daggers and two blues. And, you know, lost like a kind of typical joust match with, with B-Wings. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I decided I'm, I'm just going to go home and sleep. I don't want to get anyone else sick for Gen Con. I'm not playing well and I'm not, and I'm not feeling well. So, uh, over the next couple weeks, I started thinking about lists because I decided that the problem with these control lists is that they're super precise. Like you, you got that one chance for the block. Mm-hmm. Um, which means every game you have to be completely on top of it. There's just no room for error. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very much sort of a, you know, uh, difficult list to play. And if you're going to run gen- seven rounds at Gen Con, um, you probably don't want to be like expending tons of brain power. You want a list that's a bit more, uh, simple. Mm-hmm. I looked at all the different options and I eventually settled on Han. I decided that Han was probably, um, the first part of my list. The question then was what to compliment him with. I mean, obviously you can have, you know, a ship like, you know, Corn Horn. Corn Horn or, or Z's, right? That's, those yeah. are your two primaries. Corn or Z's, that's right. Mm-hmm. And so I started searching around and looking at different combinations on List Juggler of, of Han and various lists. And what I saw was there was a big gap. And that big gap was that people weren't playing Han Jake. And in fact, the day I came up with my list, there, there still weren't any Han Jake lists. Like just purely Han Jake list in there. And so uh, I come up with my list and I fire off an email to the Scum and Villainy podcast team. Mm-hmm. Uh, I fired off an email to Dominic 
and I fire off an e- email to Muon, asking them if they thought I should take Predator or, or push the limit Yeah, uh, on Han. Because the thing is, that's a 97-point list, so you're pretty much guaranteed to get the initiative. Mm-hmm. And so um, y- you don't have to put VI on Han. You can give him a better upgrade. Um, so Muon immediately e- emails me back and said, check list juggler. I just flew this list uh, at uh, one of our Don John tournaments. Awesome. And there it was. Like he had won the tournament, exactly the same list that I was thinking about with Predator. Mm-hmm. I think Predator is the better choice. I really do. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the Scum and Villainy podcast team, including you, I mean, you know, all of you guys, advised me that you thought Predator was better. And so I was ready to go. So it's Thursday morning of Gen Con, and there's really only one list that I'm worried about, and that list is Cornhorn and and Dash. Sure. Later, I was talking to Morgan about it, and he mentioned independently that that was the main reason why he stopped bringing it to all of his uh, um, Australia events because Australia apparently is completely saturated with corn, horn, and dash right now. Got it. Uh, if you go look at some of the tournaments, it's just it's all corn and dash all the time. And Morgan was like, you know, unfortunately, what will happen is that a VI dash or VI corn, rather, can can probably solo Han on his own. Yeah, close to. Yeah, and Jake just is even with the proton rockets is not going to be enough of a threat mm-hmm. against uh, uh, Dash. Um, so I sit down round one and guess what list I'm looking at? Okay, it's uh, Chewy Corn. Okay, uh, Chewy's got Lebo, Predator, C3PO, Tidal, fifty-one point Chewy, and then Corn had Push, R2D2, Advanced Sensors, and Engine. And my opponent is a guy named Dan Ors. I could tell right away he was a good player. He had all the tokens, like he mm-hmm. was setting everything up. Like I'm like, all right, I'm in for a real, a real matchup here. I somehow managed to win it. He had uh, basically came down to the very last turn of the game. He had managed to kill Han, and it was it was his Chewie versus my Jake. And uh, my Jake had the uh, the target lock on him, and the Chewie only had uh, one hit po- two two hit points left. Okay. I believe Mark, you were sitting right next to me for this one. First round, I had a buy. So, yeah, you were watching the game. You remember the very end, basically. I like. He, oh yeah. He did a three bank with Chewy. He was at kind of the edge of the board, so he didn't have many options. He three banked forward. I managed to do a hard right two with Jake, get the barrel roll and boost, get into range one, and then drop the five dice attack uh, with the rockets to take him out. Now I had target lock and focus, and it was enough. Is it just me or rockets? One of the most absolutely satisfying things to do in X Wing. It, it just feels so good when they go off. I do like them extensively. Yeah, pockets are, are incredible. Anything that works well on an A-Wing, man, I'm down. So it was kind of a photo finish, and mm-hmm. uh, Dan Dan ended up going all the way to the uh, top 16 as well. He won out his remaining six matches. So I felt happy to squeak past it. Mm-hmm. And um, I then had two relatively easy matches in a row um, and you know, blanked both opponents 100 nothing. Mm-hmm. And in round four, I got uh, paired up with Tyler, who crushed me like a bug. Tyler Tippett? Yeah, yeah. What was he running? He was running uh, Jax, PTL, Hull, and Auto Thrusters, Hal Runner, and four Academy Pilots. Awesome. Yeah, so it's kind of a variation on uh, Lady of the Tiger, which is uh, Soonter and Hal Runner with the Academies. But he can uh, he can get the, the Hull upgrade on Jax. And Jax is a bully, man. He is. He is. Like that guy, when he gets up close to you, and if, if for somebody who likes to turtle up, he just completely shuts that down. Yeah, um, I managed to actually avoid Jax the whole game, but the downside was I got Han stuck in a corner, 
and he got promptly murdered, and then it was just a kind of wrap up to chase down Jake. Yeah, is that's actually one of the things that uh, were you worried about a Jake by himself in game? Oh, for sure. I mean, you have to keep Han alive there. I mean, Han's the Tie Fighter killer, right? That's what he does. I managed to kill two ties with him, but it just wasn't enough. Mm-hmm. So Tyler went on, oddly enough, to play the exact same list the next round. Um, there was another dude to the tournament that brought the same list, and he ended up finishing second in Swiss, a guy named William, William McFadden, I believe. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what are the odds? So uh, we also had a very long break between round one and round two. Mm-hmm. Basically, the FFG software couldn't handle 200-plus people, and it blew up, and they had to go back and recreate the entire tournament using um, uh, their their old software. And so between round one and round two, um, round one started at 9 o'clock, and round two started at, I believe, 4 o'clock. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's 3 o'clock? No, it was before that. Round two was started two around... It was like a five-hour difference between rounds. Mm-hmm. So it must have been 2 o'clock. It was a long gap. Yeah. So what happened was a lot of people, especially all the regional winners who, who like, you know, were sitting around waiting, they get, basically had to sit there for a long time. Holy cow. And it actually ended up like at least one regional winner, the kid, Nathan Ide, mm-hmm. uh, who, he, he didn't do so great. He went two, two and one and dropped. Uh, he told me later that like he had just been sitting around the whole time wringing his hands. And by the time he, he was playing, he was just not in a good state of mind. Wow. Yeah, so that was round four. I lost to Tyler. Uh, Tyler went on to lose to the mirror match, the same match in round five. And then unfortunately he lost again in, in the, in the final round in round seven. Uh, and he was steaming because he shouldn't have lost that seventh round game. But yeah, Tyler played incredibly well. Didn't make the cut, but I think, I thought he should have. Hey, Tyler's a good player. There's no getting around that, man. He's good. Oh, he's fantastic. When he's on his A game, he's just extremely difficult to beat. Uh, round six, round five, round six, and round seven, I had, uh, rel- relatively, Straightforward matches, you know, 133, 100 nothing, 100 nothing. Mm-hmm. So I ended up having, you know, four, you know, four whitewashes, which was enough to, to put me fourth in Swiss. Yeah, that's awesome. Yep. Um, and I, I did do something fun in between rounds. Like I went shopping in the dealer hall while we were waiting and I found a, uh, a little Falcon miniature, like a D&D Watsy Falcon mini. Sure. Uh, which I ended up flying around with Jake on the game board in rounds three through seven. Uh, kind of the spirit of the Millennium Falcon. Awesome. It was, it was great. Like the, like, effectively, like at one point, Jake had like five target locks on him. And so he, I had all five target locks following the bird around. Uh, and of course, when the, <laughs> when the bird does, you know, when you do the focus and, uh, evade with Jake, you get even more tokens plus his target lock. So it was just like a giant circus. So tell me about your uh, match against Fildo. Yeah. So, uh, the next day I had, uh, and my plan was I wasn't expecting to make the cut, so my plan was to just interview a bunch of people for the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, Which, by the way, the shows, both shows, well done uh, on getting interviews. That was absolutely phenomenal. Thank you. Um, and also thanks to Alex for doing all the editing. Yeah, exactly. Alex for doing all the hard work. Alex uh, is the man. I don't know if we can say that enough. Like, Can we take like, a little Alex moment of how like wonderful this man is? Um, because uh, – so anyways, uh, sorry. Let's continue. <laughs> Game changer bringing him on the podcast. No joke, man. You're the man, Alex. Well, thank you. I try. <laughs> yeah, so that's it. I'm in the top 16, and this is where the blunder portion of the uh, podcast kicks in because I got my acrylic critical hit tokens. Sure. Woohoo. So that's, that's some of your, that's some of your booty that you got. It's booty. Um, it's, it's weird booty because 
I mean, not very many people use critical hit tokens. And it's like, it's not great when one shows up on the table for you. I have kind of mixed feelings about busting out the critical hit tokens. But whatever. So, uh, round one, I got paired against Fildo and we'll, we'll actually go through the, uh, the top 16 list distribution later in the cast because I think it was pretty good. Yeah. And Fildo and I had a fantastic game. He was flying, uh, I've got it in front of me. Oiken, Predator, Yasani, Gunner, Rebel Captive, Engine, and Approximine because why the hell not? And, uh, soon tier with push limit, auto thrusters, stealth device in the title. Mm-hmm. He ended up tagging uh, Jake with that Proxmine. Took out two shields. As the Proxmine is a scum and villainy podcast, you know, uh, certified uh, card, we certainly love anybody who runs it, even if it's against you, just because that card's fun. Yeah, um, it's it's awesome. So I actually ended up killing Sunter early. Mm-hmm. I mean, Sunter had done a fair amount of damage on Han and Oiken had as well. So he'd done a lot of concentrate fire on Han and like taken out all of his shields by the time, uh, shields and more by the time that I managed to kill Sunter. You were concentrating your, your shots on Sunter though, right? Yeah. I was going for Sunter. Um, this, yeah, it this makes sense. he presented a, a, an easier target, a faster target. You can one shot him if you're lucky. At that point, I was feeling pretty good about it. And we, we did a kind of extended cat and mouse period and, with Oiken and Han trading shots on each other and me just trying to keep Jake alive long enough to get his proton rockets off. Mm-hmm. And we ended up in the very last round of the game with Han having one hit point left mm-hmm. and uh, Oiken having two left with the Asani evade. Um, Ooh. Uh, no, sorry. Oiken had one left with the Asani evade. And Han had a range one shot and I needed three hits to kill him. And mm-hmm. I unfortunately only got two. And, um, Oiken returned fire, killed Han. Game went to time. On the very next move, Oiken would have run over a rock and he had the, uh, stun pilot crit. So he would have died. He would have died, yeah. And although, and I made a critical error as well in the last round. I, I, I basically, I, I ran Jake into, uh, Oiken when I could have just mm-hmm. done a hard one and gotten a shot with Jake. Um, he would have been stressed, but he would have gotten the, uh, he had a target lock, so I probably would have killed Oiken. Um, but that was that. Uh, and so Phil went on to go all the way through the finals, and uh, which is pretty awesome. Phil's a great player and a really nice guy. Yes, so, absolutely. So I was happy to lose to him. And that also gave me a chance to go off and interview everybody. So, you know, it, it all ended pretty well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, you had a very good shot at getting uh, a win on him. So that's, to me, I think that's always, I don't know, I don't know, is it better or worse to lose a close match? Uh, I think as long as you don't take it too hard, it's not a big deal. But, I mean, you know, I've lost enough games in my life. Of, I, I play a lot of chess, and I've just lost hundreds and hundreds of games. That The kind of the sting of it is gone for me. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, like, I don't mind losing a close match like that. But, I, you know, I've seen some people, like, can get pretty emotionally invested in a game. And it's hard to lose that way. And, you know, the emotions get out. All right. So, Gen Con, did you have fun? Oh, it was fantastic. It was, it was so good. Uh, I mean, some of the highlights for me. Um, yeah. What was your favorite non X-Wing thing? Favorite moment was, it was probably at the, uh, the parade, the cosplay parade. Okay. Uh, so it, it ended up being about 15 minutes long. You can go find it on YouTube. Uh, it was a, I mean, some, just some incredible outfits. Like there was one guy who had kind of a, it was like a Segway machine. Um, and he completely, he covered the entire Segway machine in, uh, in Emperor Palpatine outfit. So he was basically floating around the hall on his Segway, but you couldn't see his legs. So it just looked like he was levitating around. 
That's awesome. It was really good. It was an awesome Palpatine. Um, so we're standing there where the parade starts, and uh, there's a, a young family behind us. It's a, a, a woman and her two young daughters, probably like age three, age five. And so we asked them if they want to, you know, get forward and see the parade because we were blocking them. The mother decides that she's going to hold the older kid, and then the younger kid scurried up right next to me, looked up at me, and grabs my hand. Uh-huh. And proceeds to hold my hand through the entire parade. Uh, <laughs> she's probably about three years old. Like that's funny. In, in her other hand, she was clutching her teddy bear. So that's adorable. It was awesome. And you know, I've, I've got a daughter about the same age at home right now, and mm-hmm. I think maybe she could sense the paternal instinct coming off me. Um, that's adorable. So yeah, that was it. Probably the best moment. And then for the rest of Gen Con, let's say I had a really nice lunch with Mark. We went out to a local beer pub and talked about Genghis Khan. <laughs> it was pretty awesome. Uh-huh. I tried to get him to uh, induct me into the Secret Society of Mechanical Bird Artificers and Steamship Captains, um, but I don't think I passed the test. <laughs> yeah, uh, if anyone doesn't know, Mark's got probably one of the my favorite steampunk outfits I've seen, like completely full-on steampunk sheriff. It looks ridiculously awesome. Huh? It is a little warm. <laughs> yeah, that, I, I can imagine, but it still looks cool. I mean, yeah, it's, they say beauty it's is awesome. pain, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, guys, I'm super glad you guys had fun, and I'm super jelly that I didn't get to go with you. But we're going to get down to some hard tax, brex tax, about, talk about Gen Con and what, what placed, what we saw a lot of, and kind of point out some of the things that we liked. So to give you a breakdown of what placed in the top 16, what kind of lists – and who flew them? Um, Alex is going to break this down for us because Alex is the man. Alex, uh, why don't you give me a little bit of a breakdown of the top 16, who flew what, and and uh, if there's something interesting, we can kind of talk about it. I mean, the first thing to, to notice about the top 16 is it is an extremely heavy rebel field. Mm-hmm. Second place, we already talked about Fildo's Oiken Sooner build, and there was one other Imperial squad, which was friend of the podcast, Nick Jones, and his... Seven TIE Swarm, who made it to the top 16. I love seeing TIE Swarms. There was one scum list, dual IG-88s, that managed to make it to top eight. But you know, aside from those three lists, everything else in the top 16 was Rebels. Yeah, and actually the scum and the Imperial player got matched in uh, the top eight. And so the rest was all Rebel on Rebel. We were joking it was a, a Rebel Civil War moment. <laughs> you know, does wait does that ever happen in like like super late New Jedi Order or something like that happen? If I remember, I so I quit what, reading the books when uh, Chewie got murdered by a moon, but I think something similar happens with the Rebel Civil War. So anyone's on the holonet, let me know. Anyways, um, so I just wanted to what one? Let's let's kind of let's dig right into okay. that. What one? Okay, Jeff Burling won, and he was flying a very very cool build that has Dash Rendar with Lone Wolf. He obviously has HLC and the Outrider title mm-hmm. for the lovely four dice three sixty arc, mm-hmm. and then he brought an R two D two crew member and anti pursuit lasers. Okay, so let's stop for a real quick second and talk about that. What the hell am I looking at, and why is that effective? So Dash is kind of weak to higher pilot skill ships, Sooner Fells, Corn Horns. Yeah, exactly, exactly. To get into the uh, into the donut. Yes. Anti-pursuit lasers is a great sort of threat to those higher pirate skill ships. Dash has a barrel roll. If you try and get in close, he may barrel roll towards you 
or maybe he barrel rolls away from you and then you're not at range one anymore. It's just kind of a, th- a threat to help keep people out of the donut hole and punish them when they do get too close. That sounds completely logical. Yeah, there's, there's actually one more point about it, which is if you watch how Jeff played it, he would use uh, Dash's bait and try to drag people toward Dash, and then he would flank with his B-wings. And so as ships were converging toward Dash, ideally running into him, the B-wings would be on the perimeter, and they'd light him up. That's how he played it. All right, cool. I mean, you do have the ability to block with anti-pursuit lasers in a, in a barrel roll. I mean, it's a really big ship. That's interesting. All right, cool. W- what about R2-D2? Why, why is okay. that working on this list? So there, there are a couple different crew members you can take with Dash that we see all the time. Recon specialist is a popular choice because, you know, more focused tokens are better, particularly mm-hmm. on a two agility ship. Frequently you see Kyle Katarn with PTL, but not on this build. Other options include like the Chewbacca crew or C3PO mm-hmm. as, you know, defensive cards to help keep Dash in the game. But R2D2 is particularly good for the, the meta because it's extremely effective against ships with gunner. Mm-hmm. Ships with gunner. You know, you can spend your focus token on defense and take one damage. And once you're into the hull, R2-D2 effectively negates the one damage that Gunner automatically deals out. Absolutely. And we see Gunner a lot, if I remember correctly. Um, we went through that last uh, last week. Gunner is actually one of the most run cards in the game right now by, by points. Isn't that correct, Lyle? That is, yeah. And so, okay, so I get it. It's a very good defensive card. And it plays better versus Gunner than C-3PO. Yeah, I think that's the big reason why you would take RTD2 over C3PO. Okay, and then along with it, he's got two blues, which are just just hammers, right? That's their their job. Yeah, two B wings are are great. That's what makes his list sort of, in some ways, better than the the typical you know fifty eight point dash. Is that by flying a dash that's only fifty six points, you can afford the much better blue squadrons instead of you know Cornhorn or two rookies. Mm-hmm. And yeah, B-Wings just last longer. They last a shot longer on average. Yeah, you, and you can't really kill a B-Wing before it, it gets a shot on you. Yeah, exactly. Okay, let's talk about this. What do we think about the winning list? This is something that I personally, I haven't seen this list before, and I love that. I love it whenever we get to see something that's new, and it makes sense that it's good. It teaches us something. So what do we think about this list? Lyle, you got you watched him play. Tell me why you like this list or why you think it's effective. Um, yeah, I think it's, well, one, I like it because it's, it's a three-ship rebel list, which you don't see a lot of. Although, you know, I think this regional season we've been seeing success with that. Uh, you know, Nathan almost won two regionals with, you know, his Corin, Jake, Biggs list. Yeah. Um, so that's the first nice thing. Uh, second thing is it's a kind of unorthodoxly built dash, mm-hmm. which, you know, I've gotten so used to all these super dashes, it's nice to see mm-hmm. a dash that's a little different. And then third... You know, it's got the old standby, the, you know, the most popular ship in X-Wing right now, the B-Wing. So it's something a little bit new with Dash combined with something we've been seeing a lot of in the form of uh, B-Wings. I really like that anti-pursuit laser. That makes a ton of sense. Mm -hmm. In the very last game, it basically won it. He barrel rolled onto an asteroid to make it so that Sundra's hard to would run into him. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, did the damage and then the bees just mowed Sundra down and that was it. That's awesome. Yeah. That is awesome. So in general though, like this list, for me, it, it doesn't, like, I think it's awesome that Jeff won it. He's a very talented player and 
in many ways is kind of a moral victory for him because last year he also made it to the finals and ended up not winning after an incredible act of fly casual. Uh, not that mm-hmm. that was the primary determinant of him winning or losing, but you know, he potentially could have killed Whisper if he hadn't have like retroactively granted the focus, uh, the cloak token. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I thought it was very cool to see Jeff take it down, you know, the second year. Um, so that in itself was cool. And the list itself, I mean, honestly, I'm kind of mad on it. It doesn't really, you know, strike me as being particularly awesome. I think it was just flown by a very good player. Okay. Cool. Uh, Mark, what do you think? Very similar. It's an interesting idea, but this list doesn't call to me. Well, there's a lot of synergy, but it's a lot of base synergy. I mean, that's yeah. all it is. There's a lot of efficient stuff. Lone Wolf is efficient. Blues are efficient. And then it, you've got an answer in case someone tries to go to your donut hole. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah, flown by a good player. Um, and he brought a weird list last year, too. It was uh, it was a shuttle, um, soon tier, and whisper. No, no, that, no, was, that was the winning list. Okay, he was the, who was the other? He was Chewbacca then. He did Chewbacca yeah, he, Han, I believe. Yeah, maybe I think Chewie so. Lando. It's probably Chewie Lando, and he had Chewie with like C three PO, R two D two crew, and the title. Cool. Okay, so that's our winning list. Let's kind of go through some of these other ones. Sorry, Alex, I just wanted to talk about that real quick. Yeah. All right, so we we know what Fildo ran. He he played against Lyle. Who else do we have uh, stats on? Okay, so we can talk about Jonathan Grasser. He finished okay. in the top four. Mm-hmm. He was running Chewbacca with Predator Luke, C-3PO, and the Millennium Falcon title. Mm-hmm. Uh, no engine upgrade, though, which is a very interesting choice, but obviously did pretty well for him. As his support, he's running Vril with an HLC, but no title, recon specialist, and anti-pursuit lasers. This is uh, very similar to a list that's run in Kansas City by Landon Otis. Um, and Landon has placed well in every single tournament in Kansas City, and he finally won a regional with it. But he's run something incredibly similar to this and done really well with it. So I'm not surprised that that did well. But it's a weird list, right? Yeah. I mean, it's it does some very interesting things. You don't see a lot of 2400s without the Outrider title. So. Yeah. And it's cool to see someone using Vril, sort of, you know, less common pilot. Well, Vril's very good against uh, anything that stresses. Yeah. Yeah, so this list is, I mean, I think it's cool that it made top four. Um, It's, and obviously, you know, Landon has kind of proven that there's this list has real teeth. So I like it. Uh, It is another two-ship double pancake list, though, so it doesn't really, the fact that Vril is there makes it, you know, in some way innovative, and I'm glad I saw it in the top four, but yeah, it's not like a, you know, a hallmark of a kind of new or creative list, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Okay. Another list that's kind of unstandard is the top eight finish by Zach Matthews, who is running a version of a Rebel Control list. He had two Blue Squadron B-Wings with E2 mod and Tactician, the sort of standard 25-point stress hog with Gold Squadron Pilot, R3A2, BTLA4 title, and the Iron Cannon Turret. And then he was running another gold with Iron Cannon Turret, BTLA4 title, and a Seismic Charge. So it's always always cool to see Rebel Control doing well. It's a very difficult list to fly well, particularly like in the opening. But 
it, it can do very well against two ship builds. Yeah, we've talked about this forever. Controllists do very well versus everything, so long as you can predict well. Like like Lyle said, so long as you're playing perfectly, you can do very well with them. And so, bully for you for running uh, Controllist. We, we we salute you, Zach. We appreciate it. Yeah, so I actually sat next to him on a bunch of rounds and had several conversations in between rounds with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was playing that list very well, and he was actually had a he was trying to prove a point. Like Zach went into that tournament with a chip on his shoulder about Rebel Control. I think he actually proved that it could do very well. So um, I think it's a triumph for the control list. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, who else uh, placed? What else do we have uh, that it's kind of interesting in the top sixteen? Okay, we can't not talk about Andrew Johnson, who mm-hmm. finished in top sixteen. He was running an outer rim smuggler with anti pursuit lasers. Double Tactician in the Millennium Falcon title. And then he has Cornhorn with VI, FCS, and R2-D2, and two bandits. This guy must have been doing super well because, as we'll get to soon, this list is no longer legal. It's obviously they didn't change it just I, I for don't, him. I, I don't think they changed it for the Outer Rim Smuggler. Um, but still, how fun does this list look to fly? So this is actually a variant of a list that I've been flying, uh, no longer flying since the fact, but something that I had a lot of fun with, which was two Outer Rim Smugglers with anti-pursuit lasers, <laughs> two tacticians each, and then two A-Wings prototypes with auto thrusters and the refit. They're all PS1. It's a lot of fun. So I'm well familiar with the Outer Room Smuggler anti-pursuit laser double tactician build. It's I think... mean. It, it oh, double stress. Have fun. Oh no, uh, you ran into me. It's a very effective blocker. Possibly the most effective blocker in the game because it's a large base. It's PS1. Mm-hmm. It's got a lot. It of is hit points. such it's... a good blocker. I used to run. If you guys remember Slap Fight, Outer Room Smugglers are incredibly good blockers. Mm-hmm. That's definitely an interesting addition to the list. Then he had a fairly bare-bones corn horn and two bandits to... to... The corn horn can put out a ton of damage, right? And he, he can, can, yes. Uh, if, if you've got good blocking, I guess the bandits are just there because they're efficient, right? I mean, I guess yes. that's in the end, that's what they're there for. Corn is the teeth in this list. Has anybody, did anybody see this uh, list fly? Anybody get a chance to watch it? Unfortunately, no. Because no. that looks so much fun to fly. Awesome. Well, well done to you because that looks super fun. Um, anything else? Let's see here. Da, 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 da. And then I guess a corner Tycho. I haven't even seen one of those. I guess that makes sense. It's just about the same as Jake. Is Tycho better than Jake? Uh, I actually had a corn, had a matchup against Han and Tycho mm-hmm. in one of my rounds. And unfortunately it was a 98 point build. So my 97 point initiative beat it. Uh, I, I think Jake is actually better because I mean, Tycho's awesome. He can do a lot of crazy tricks because of the stress mechanic, but he's not as maneuverable as Jake. And that PS9 Jake, because you've got the barrel roll and the boost, mm-hmm. you can get in behind a Corrin or a Soonter, whereas it's much harder to do that with with Tycho. He, like, even if he's a pilot skill 10 Tycho, because he just doesn't have the uh, the barrel roll. All right, so let's talk about just kind of in general. Does anybody have any idea... As far as what was run, it's primarily Rebel, right? Why do you think that is? 
I don't know. For some reason, we're, I noted this in the last podcast when I was interviewing people that we seem to be in kind of a rebel renaissance right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, although I think it's going to come to a close now that Wave 7 is in our hands. Mm-hmm. But I think there was something about the last wave, like the combination of Whisper getting nerfed, plus all of these excellent rebel ships in the form of Corrin and Han and Jake. Yeah, I think that just the, the selection from the rebels is so good, combined with the B-Wing, which is just an incredible ship. So that's that's my guess. So... The reason that Rebels are so good right now and so popular right now is that they've got a number of different sturdy, viable ships that are fairly defensive. They survive for a long time. They can put out decent amounts of damage. And you can basically slot them in to your liking. You want mm-hmm. to run Han Chewie? That's a viable list. You want to run Corrin Dash? That's a viable list. You want to run Corrin Han? That's a viable. You can mix and match to your taste. And then they've got so many good crew slots that are defensive that you can make sure that your ships survive longer than they should. The other two factions really don't have anything comparable. So when you're going to a tournament, when you want to compete, that's the faction you reach for if you're looking at trying to play the MOV game, pl- trying to have your ships be sturdy and dependable and damaging. They're a backbone faction. All these are backbone ships that do very well in this context. So when you reach for imperial you tend to lose ships fairly fast you don't have the staying power of the rebels same with the scum so that's why rebels are uh, resplendent right now i i think that uh with with all of the sort of damage that's coming in in the next wave that's potentially going to go away especially with somebody like scum i think scum's going to really you know we love scum and villainy so we're really excited about that but i think that's going to change a lot in wave seven yeah, I'm actually not sure because I think the K-Wing adds another big, tanky, multi-option ship. I don't see people playing a lot of Punisher. I think the real question for me is whether or not the YV-666 is going to change the game significantly. Like, for me, that's the wild card. If, if if the YV can come in and actually shake up you know, some of those Rebel lists, then maybe. Uh, otherwise, I don't see it happening. We did learn some interesting information about uh, the new Wave 7 cards. Let's kind of run through those really quickly on, on what we learned and what's sort of interesting about them. Um, why don't you go fire off uh, those cards, Mark? The final pilot for the YV-666 was revealed, which was Moralo Eval. That ability is that you can perform cannon weapon attacks against ships inside your auxiliary fire arc. It's 180 uh-huh. degrees of cannon. Yeah. That's it's half awesome. an outrider. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. And coming in at pilot skill six for 34 points, you can spare the points to give the cannon. It's a lot cheaper than dash. Then you've got all the crew to slap on there. You don't have the maneuverability of dash, but you have the firepower of him. Yeah, and for cheaper. And also you have you got the Bosque crew card that I think is incredibly good. And also incredibly awesome. Right. So for example, you could you could put Bosque and a gunner on this guy, 
have him, you know, take a first shot with the cannon, you know, maybe like an ion cannon turret or something, uh, shake off some, some tokens from the opponent, and then boss it, get the focus and the target lock with the stress, and then, you know, hit your opponent, um, with a three dice focus target lock attack after you've loosened them up a bit with gunner, which I think could do some real damage. Yeah, there's a lot of fun stuff you can play with it. Um, I like that guy, like 180 degrees of a cannon for super cheap. Yeah. If you want to run cannons on a YV, this is the pilot you should Do you make. think, which pilot do you like more, Bosk or this guy? It's hard. It, it, it is very tough. I think it depends upon how you want to run them. Yeah, exactly. Run like, yeah. And also your play style. Yeah. If you don't want to run gunner, I think Morallo is probably a better choice. You just hit them with hard with your HLC shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to go and say Lats is my favorite of the YV666 titles or uh, pilots. He's the target lock guy? Yeah, he's the one that you can spend the target lock on any friendly shot to reduce their agility by one, which isn't a very good ability, except when you put certain cards on that ship, which. My favorite combination right now is Gunner, Bosk Crew, and Tactician. So you attack them at range two, they get a stress, you miss, you get a stress, target lock focus, you get a Gunner shot, you can then spend that target lock to reduce their agility, attack again, you've still got a focus, they get another stress, if you miss again, you still get a focus target lock, if you don't, they're hurting. It's a pretty good combination there, and not for not a lot of points. Right. So, Mark, let me ask you: What do you think about putting one or two weapons engineers on this guy? I'm maybe maybe like pair with a whole bunch of bandits, like him and like five bandits. But there's so many better crew than weapon engineer. Yeah, but the yeah. whole like this way you get four target locks. So pretty much any target that someone's shooting at, you can you can lower their. Uh, so that's kind of okay. Fun. So I hear what you're saying. How many the problem that cost? is the problem is that you suddenly have to spread your fire across their entire list. Every Z has to be shooting a different target, and that's not the way to kill ships. True. True. It's and then if you run up against. You know, a two-ship list, which, as we just talked about, is common, you've wasted six points. Yeah, I can see that. Still, uh, one's not the worst point, three points you ever spent. Yeah. Right? At least. So, Ricky, my answer to your question is I actually kind of prefer Bosk. And mm-hmm. the reason is because you can put VI and an engine on him. Mm-hmm. And then maybe, say, Navigator and Intelligence Officer. Mm-hmm. And now you've basically got a very maneuverable... PS9 Bosk, which you can pair up with, say, a Super Gurry or a Super Talonbane, mm-hmm. um, and have a, a like actually like an extremely competitive two ship uh, um, scum list, which is I think what we were missing. Yeah, to com- to compete against the other ones. That's right. All right. So, what other cards did we find out about Mark? Okay, so we have speaking of large ships and bumping, we've got the Ion Projector. So it's Mm -hmm. a large ship-only modification. After an enemy ship overlaps you, you get to roll a die. On a hit or crit, 
that ship receives an ion token. So this is anti-pursuit lasers, but replaces that damage with an ion token. Cool. For two points, same price as the anti-pursuit lasers. It's an interesting card. Is Do you like that better or worse than anti-pursuit lasers? It depends on the list. Okay. So it also depends on what you put it on. If you put it on a large ship that's only job is blocking, you can ensure that you can eventually ion a ship and know where they're going to go. And that can set you up, but you've lost any ability to do damage because you've replaced anti-pursuit lasers with ion projector. I think Mm -hmm. in general... APL is the better way to go. But there's one glaring exception that this card is crying out for. And is it bombs? Because I feel like that's always the answer for you. It's Oiken. Yeah. Yeah. You you run into them, they take a damage. They're running to you. If they get the ion, next turn you run into them, they run into you, and just repeat until you don't roll that hit and they clear. <laughs> And then you can always slap a proton bomb on Oiken. Oiken can carry a bomb. Just to add insult to injury? Correct. That sounds awesome. That is dirty. It is. Yes. That's awesome. I want to so, do that. I want to go to there. Yes. Do it. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. All right. So we got two other cards that we, we popped out. Let's so Let's three. get through these. Yeah. Three other. Okay. Fire away. So... On the topic of modifications, there's uh-huh. a YV666 only modification, maneuvering mm-hmm. fins. Mm-hmm. Basically, when you reveal a turn, you may treat it as the corresponding bank maneuver of the same speed. Okay. So if I reveal it too hard, I can change it to a two bank. Okay. Fairly. For one point. I like it. And you can combine it with Navigator and uh, Intelligence Officer with that PS9 Bosk. It's going to be hard to, for him to get blocked. So the one concern is that it takes the mod slot so you can't get engine. Yeah, it's it's a point. Yeah. Oh, crap. No okay. engine. I take it all back. Guys, I was going to say, we, we, we have to remember our Scum and Villainy approved card engine, and that is also a modification. So you've got to be better than engine. Although right. I think in some respects, I mean, if you've got a point, there are worse cards to spend on your ship. I mean, Correct. This is one, I don't necessarily see this using it all the time, but maybe a bank was the right decision, or maybe they went for a block and it gets you out of a block. I mean, who knows? So on this card, I will <laughs> say it's useful for when you cannot spare the points for engine. Yeah, I think that's exactly the right answer. So that's it for the modifications. There's two others. Okay. Let's go with advanced homing missiles. Now. It's three points missile. Okay. Three attack dice can only be fired at range two. That's strange. You require target lock. You do not spend the target lock for the attack. So you get the the target lock to modify your dice. Mm -hmm. If you hit, you cancel all results and the target gets a face up damage card. A crit. It goes through shields. Oh, so yeah. 
there's no shields that stop this. It's bam, take a crit, Corin. Yeah, there's a Corin killer. How much do we like this card for three points? I think Go the ahead, real Alex. killer on this card is the range restriction. Yeah. Trying to get a ship in exactly range two is very tough. So in general, I'm not a fan of I like it on Rhymer. Yeah, so, on Rhymer, this card is like auto-include. Being able to shoot at any range with a for three crit. points. At a cr- with a crit. Oh, give you just some yeah. crit out of nowhere. So I happen to like this card. Now, you are absolutely right, especially against, like, Corrin. It's hard to make sure he's at range two. The trick is that if you have a target lock on Corrin and you have this card, you know that he's going to make maneuvers to prevent you from doing that. So you can force your opponent to make bad calls to try to avoid the risk of advanced homing missiles. And if you put this on Lieutenant Blount with Deadeye, I have a focus. Anybody at range two gets a face-up damage card. I don't care what tokens you have or how many dice you have. You just get it. Blount loves this card. Yeah. So... It forces your opponent to spend actions to get out of that range, which benefits you. Mm-hmm. And it's cheap. Right. I mean, that's a cheap free crit if you can get it. Yeah. But you, that's one of those cards that needs target lock and focus, though. Right. Or Blount or anything else like that. Yeah. Uh, what's so, our last card that we, that we found, though? The last card, and the reason I kept it for last is it's my favorite of this bunch. Mm-hmm. It's Crackshot, an EPT, one mm-hmm. point. When attacking a ship inside your firing arc, you may discard this card to cancel one of the defender's evade results. What awesome. I like about this is that by necessity, you have finished modification of the attack dice. So you roll the attack dice, you modify them, your opponent modifies them. That's set in stone. Then your opponent rolls their dice. Mm -hmm. Now, there is some question as to when this card happens. Do you have to use it during your modification phase, or do you do it after all uh, defense dice have been modified? I believe it's the latter of those. But this needs a fact immediately. Yeah, we need to know when that happens. But the, yeah. let's let's run under the assumption that you can get rid after the defender's done modifying yes. dice. You now, can get rid of an evade. Let's run it under that assumption. So uh, soon tier killer, right? So my favorite place for this card right now is Andrew Sulak. He's the seventeen point PS seven scum z95 mm-hmm. ability if you have no friends within range one to two you get an extra attack die. note that is not primary weapon only so you can use it on secondaries sure with homing missiles not advanced the regular homing missiles which is range two to three you need a target lock you don't spend it four mm-hmm. attack dice and your opponent can't use evade tokens okay andrew makes that five attack dice with crack shot what you can do is you've got five attack dice with a target lock you fire against sunter at range three 
Sunter has focus and evade. Sunter cannot use the evade token. Sunter loses a an evade result. So he's got a maximum of two evade results. You and have five, five dice, dice target lock. Nice. You can kill him at range three with auto thrusters and focus and evade in one shot. This is an anti-Yasonic card, too. Yes. So it's a very, very good card for a point. One-time use. And this is not a card that replaces veteran instincts. So you're not going to be slapping this anywhere. It's going to be on those ships that generally do not spend their EPT yeah, for whatever yeah, it's only, reason. It's a, it's a point. It's a cheap it's a cheap point. It's useful for mid-range pilots that VI does not get them above the major targets. One of the brilliant places for this is going to be the PS5 Karaz fighters. Yeah, or also the PS5 Mandalorian uh, mercenaries. Yes. Especially if they've got like K4 security droids because they'll have the target lock. They can spare the focus. Exactly. All right, cool. So... Um, those are some of the, the cards that we revealed because I believe people actually have, were at Gen Con, got these, uh, ships. Is that right? I got mine. Yeah. Absolutely. I got mine. Oh, God. I'm so jelly. Um, so exactly. So, so it's, they're revealed now. We know everything on there. And that being said, they may have announced Wave 8. And this is actually what the thing I'm most excited to talk about. They announced Wave 8. And one of us just so happened to be there. Mark, you were there, right? Yes. I went to the Fantasy Flight in-flight report. Yeah, yeah. how was that? I've been there both years I've gone to Gen Con now. It's a very interesting hour where the CEO of Fantasy Flight talks primarily about the business aspects of Fantasy Flight. But they also do all of their product reveals. The This year is the 20th anniversary of Fantasy Flight. My favorite part of this was he did a retrospective of the revenue flow of Fantasy Flight and showed, you know, did each year in turn, talked about the big release that year and showed what their revenue was on this chart. It starts out nothing because they started out as a company bringing European comics to the U.S. and translating them. Started as a publishing company. And um, there's just nothing in that bar graph. Then they release Twilight Imperium 1. It starts going up. They turn into a game company. You get to 2012. They release X-Wing. And it just spikes and keeps rocketing up exponentially. So it was fascinating watching that bit of history. The big news for us is they started talking reveals. They announced Wave 8, and they announced the next huge ship. The next huge ship is going to be the Imperial Assault Carrier, which can carry up to four That's TIE That's the Gazanti, right? The yes, Gazanti Gazanti. Awesome. So it can carry up to four TIE Fighters, and it can actually physically carry them. You can put your TIE Fighters into docking on this ship and fly it around and remove them when you launch the TIE Fighters. I think that's... I just found the reason why I'm going to end up playing Epic. Right. It looks awesome. 
they had a model there which had two TIE fighters on there. Speaking of which, it comes with new TIE fighters. It comes with two TIE fighters. Uh, so we're going to get new TIE pilots. Yeah, I think that the swarm needs something. Does anybody else miss the swarm? Yeah, mm-hmm. not really. <laughs> not, not too much. Am yeah, I the but... only one that misses that? I love yes. the swarm. Oh, man, you guys are no fun. <laughs> it's just you. So that's the next epic ship coming out. Uh, looks pretty cool. Then it announced there's going to be Wave 8. Now, the Imperial Assault Carrier is targeted for late this year, mm-hmm. which means that it'll be August next year <laughs> because it's an epic ship. Yeah. Now, yeah. I should point out that of the models, Wave 8 was not painted and this carrier was much more finished. Sure. So maybe they've finally figured out the production issues and we'll have it out reasonable. Wave 8 is going to have the Mist Hunter and the Punishing One, which are two scum ships. The Mist Hunter is uh, Zuckus's ship. Zuckus's ship. And Punishing One is Dengar, right? Correct. Okay. And, of course, we all know that Forlom is going to be in there, too. Yeah, Forlom is with Zuckus, their buddies. Yes. The big news was that the Rebel ship is going to be... The ghost from, from Rebels, the Rebels show, and the Phantom Shuttle, which is really cool. It comes in one pack. Both ships come in it. I don't know if the figures dock, but there is a mechanic to dock the two ships in combat, which gives you an auxiliary firing arc and the ability to launch the Phantom in combat. Cool. So the Really exploring this whole launching ships from other ships. Concept. That's awesome. Yeah, because they, they started that with Bosk, obviously. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then the final ship is going to be the Inquisitor Tide. The, also from the show. Also from the show. Yeah. Oh, hey, can we, can we go back to Bosk one second? I just realized there's one more thing I love about Bosk, which is uh, putting a dead man switch on that ship with the, uh, with the pup upgrade. So that not, yes. when your when your ship explodes, not only does it do damage to everyone, but the pup comes like leaping out of it. It's so depressing. <laughs> <laughs> so, Wave Eight is slated for early 2016. They're hoping for this year. No one's yeah, that's not coming this year. I'm not being fooled. Yeah. Now, those were the products they announced, but that mm-hmm. was not the end of X-wing news. Cool. One of the things that was stated was not necessarily for X-Wing, but that there is going to be Fantasy Flight products for Episode 7, and they are on the water right now. Awesome. So something you, is already you gotta think that you, you got to think that they're doing something for X-Wing. Probably. I Considering mean, it's... More than a third of their revenue, total company <laughs> revenue. Yeah. The, the other, the other way we know, each of the models has a number on it, and yes. between Wave Seven and Wave Eight, there are three missing product numbers. Three, awesome. Three. So something. So, from, uh, that's so cool. Again, not necessarily for X Wing, 
but it was announced that there's so there's Star Wars Toy Day coming up, yeah. official day. There will be new Fantasy Flight product being released that day. When is that? What day? I don't know. It's September 4th. Someone find go. out. I need to know. September so, 4th. Roughly a month. Right. More X-Wing news. We know that Wave 7 and the Imperial Raider were pre-released at Gen Con. But certain people don't have them yet. It was announced they should be in stores in the next two to three weeks. Awesome. And I checked Cool Stuff Inc. today, and they say they're shipping on the 11th for the Imperial Raider. That that ship is looks so cool. It Finally, really does yeah. Finally, so there was a bit of uh, kerfuffle with World's res- registration this year. Uh huh. So it was announced that so no details were mentioned, but they've said that there's going to be changes made, and these changes are going to be announced. At Worlds. So at this Worlds, they're going to announce their entire organized play lineup for next year, including how they're going to change next Worlds. Okay. So right now we've got store championships, regionals, nationals, Worlds. That's kind of the arc. Mm -hmm. That arc is going to remain, but there's going to be other events outside of that arc. So other tournaments, other things like that are going to be going on. So we're going to see more X-Wing activity than just the pure tournament arc from store to worlds. Mm -hmm. So next year, this next year is going to be very, very exciting for X-Wing. That's, that's awesome. I'm ex, I think that it would be good to have other major level tournaments other than, you know, Gen Con and uh, Worlds. And I know that there are other tournaments that get close, but yeah. I think more of that's good. Um, all right. So let's, let's kind of dig into this a little bit. What do we know about these Wave 8 ships? I mean, I'm super excited. Um, the one I'm most excited about is probably the Punishing one. I think the title is really cool. I think that Dengar has really good potential. Um, the Punishing One, what we know is that it's a turreted ship. It's got two attack, two agility, five hull, and four shields for 33 points for Dengar, right? So that's not a lot of ship to have a very, you know, potent attack dice. I mean, it looks really good. And it's another, I think that's going to be another, um, spot for two ship lists for scum. So yep. that's interesting. So that's the one I'm the most excited about. Um, Alex, what are you excited about with this wave? I I am most excited about the G1A Starfighter, the Mist Hunter. Yeah. Because it is basically the Scum B-Wing. We all know how B-Wings are great. Scum B-Wings have got to be even greater. <laughs> exactly. So it's it's a three-attack ship, one defense dice, it has four hull and four shields. So the stat line is pretty close to the B-Wing, a little bit of distribution between hull and shields. Mm-hmm. And for actions, it has focus, target lock, and evade. It doesn't it, have barrel roll, though. It no. does have a title card, a unique title card that gives you barrel roll at basically a one-point cost, but the one-point cost being a tractor beam that you have to assign to the ship. 
but one point for a barrel so you, alone. So you have to have a tractor beam with it. You yeah. must equip a, a tractor beam. And what do we know about the tractor for? beam? So tractor beam, it's going to be attack three, range one to three. Okay. Attack one ship. If the attack hits, cancel all results, and the defender gets a tractor beam token. Do we know what the token does? No. Oh, man. We should mention it's also only one point, so it's a very cheap upgrade. What do we – for one point, what do you think that's worth? I don't know. Uh, Until we know what the tractor beam token is, I can't speculate on whether that's worth it. I, I, just, I would, yeah, what does a token, what, what does that token do? I mean, I'm just guessing for just throwing stuff out there. It has to do something different than an ion token, but something right. Like, so you're not going one forward. I don't know. Like may, I don't know. Maybe you control like a bank to a to hard. I don't know. My guess is that it would maybe pull the ship toward you like a tractor beam. Huh? Like, uh, okay, cool. I mean, that, that'd be neat, right? Like I hit you with a token and like maybe slide you forward one or, and that would be an absolutely new mechanic to the game. Good. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how they're going to do it. The upgrade that's coming with this that everybody is talking about, however, mm-hmm. is an illicit upgrade. Cloaking device. Two points. Small ship only. Action. Perform a free cloak action. At the end of each round, if you are cloaked, roll an attack die. On a focus, discard the card, either decloak or discard your your cloak token so you can give any scum small ship with an illicit slot the cloak action but it may break that makes sense i mean it is uh, a stolen cloaking device right mm-hmm. um what without, sort of yeah good without advanced cloaking device this isn't quite as scary as you know the fan on the phantom but i think this is sort of like a like super inertial dampeners before you go into combat you can use this use the cloak action to you know move rapidly around the board with the decloak so it's a setup it's a setup tool it's a setup tool it's a reposition after combat tool it's you know you're in the wrong spot might as well take two extra agility that's why it's going to be great on Guri because she can have this and the advanced sensors. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's going to be able to play a lot of different tricks. I will say there are two things that I love the idea of this on. The first mm-hmm. is payloff. I'm going to cloak. I'm not going to decloak until I'm forced to. And I'm just going to sit here stealing your focus tokens and you can't do anything about it. Awesome. That's actually pretty awesome. <laughs> the other one is seven binary pilots with cloaking device. Cloak them all. They're going to start no. breaking. It doesn't matter. Just go. Unfortunately, cloaking device is unique. Oh, yeah. is it? Blast. That is so less fun. But still, I like that payload idea. That's actually kind of fun. Yeah. All right. Lyle, what are you excited about with this wave? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think the thing that really jumps out at me is I believe the uh, the ghost... Um, how many attack dice does it have? Four attack dice. Right, four attack dice. Um, so now we're seeing our second four attack dice ship. Um, on a ton of hit points. Right, right. So, I mean, this cloak, I don't know if I'm, or rather the, the ghost, I don't know if I'm excited by it, but 
I am experiencing some fear and trembling. Yeah, um, it it looks really good. It is on a warship base, and it only has a front firing arc, unless you spend you know fifteen plus points on it to get a rear arc as well. So that at least is is cool. Yeah, I think I'm also pretty excited about the same thing Alex said, which is kind of the scum B wing. Um, the Miss Hunter. Yeah, Miss Hunter looks really good. Um, I, I think the other thing I'm excited about is that this wave kind of feels fresh. Like it feels like we're getting some very interesting looking ships. We're getting uh, more scum. We're getting more variety. Uh, we're seeing new, you know, new mechanics in the form of uh, you know the tractor beam and uh, and exploring the docking too. Right, and the docking component. So I kind of feel like like it's breaking the game open, like. Um, from a, like a mechanics perspective, which I don't know, I'm psyched about it. I think that we've been playing the, effectively the same game for seven waves now. Um, so I'm hoping the designers are starting to mutate the, uh, the core mechanics a little bit, which should be cool. So I know we didn't mention this ship and that might be an indication of how we feel about it. We'll, we'll kind of get into this here in a quick second. The Inquisitor, right? So the Inquisitor is a two attack die ship, three agility. Two hole, two shields. Not, I mean, not bad. It's got basically the entire action bar with the exception of evade. So it's got a barrel roll and boost. And it doesn't look incredibly expensive. Their highest pilot skill pilot is 25. So that means that this is going to top out in the, no, this is going to bottom out in the teens, right? Yeah. I mean, this is basically the Imperial A wing. Mm-hmm. So you're looking at maybe like 16 points. For the PS2 version, mm-hmm. somewhere in there. I like me some A wings. One thing I will say is that let's talk about the missile that comes with this uh, this this ship, the tracer missile, or the uh, the S thread tracers or whatever. How cool does that card look? Um, and how many combos can you think of with that? Uh, what is it? It's one point for a missile, and you discard it, and if you hit. Um, what do you don't do damage, but uh, you get uh, everybody within range one or two gets a target lock. Yeah, and it's a three dice attack. Yeah, it's definitely cool. It's definitely a card that low PS ordinance builds really needed because this, as long as this attack hits, you will be able to get you know all your PS2 Scimitar squadrons the target lock they need to really hammer something. Yeah, they all focus and they get their target lock out of um, just so long as they get one. That's that's incredible. Especially on something that's like a a big ship like a Falcon or something along those lines, I think that that that's a really cool ship. And so, so what is what do you think is a good combo for that? Um, What's that guy? Just uh, like, uh, sorry, Alex. I was going to talk about uh, the the YV pilot that Lats, that the guy mm-hmm. who um, benefits from target locks. Mm-hmm. So maybe you've got a bunch of. Uh, you know, a few ships that are shooting off the, the, the tracers for him to get mm-hmm. his locks. Um, and then those locks can then be used maybe in conjunction with a weapons engineer, say, uh, <laughs> to just cover the board with target locks. Um, just a quick question, right? So like this, this costs a point, right? And this is, you're giving up your actual missile for it. Even though it's cheap, you are giving up your missile and it needs to be used on a high pilot skill ship, right? In the end, you, you still need to be able to hit someone with a target lock for your alpha strike. So it needs to be used on someone who's high pilot skill. 
Yeah. But I mean, it's a three, three dice attack. You don't have to spend. You have oh, to it's have a focus. focus. Token. It's a focus. So you can just yep. focus. Yeah. Never mind. You, you don't have to even discard the focus to make the attack. So, and if the attack is going to do no damage. So you can have all low pilot skills so long as that guy gets to fire. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. That's pretty awesome. Oh, cool. So that I'm now maybe most excited about that. Um, anyway, so we've got a lot of cool cards. Do we see anything that we think is actually going to what, – what do you think is going to make the biggest change out of this just shot in the dark? My, my guess would be the Mist Hunter. Like B-Wings are great. Scum B-Wings are even better. Scum as a faction sort of only has Z95s as a filler ship. So mm-hmm. having a, a B-Wing equivalent in faction is going to be a big change. Mark, what's your biggest game changer out of this wave from what we know so far? I worry that the Mist Hunter doesn't have the repositioning game. Mm-hmm. I think that the the bigger game changer, at the very least for Scum, is going to be the punishing one with the title that we have yet to mention. Yeah, so with Dengar, we, we man. mentioned that the, the stat line on the Jumpmaster 5000, is mm-hmm. two attack, two agility, five hull, four shields. But there's a 12-point title, the punishing one, unique, that increases your primary weapon value by one. Okay. So this puts it into the realm of YT-1300 named. So you're now on par with the Falcon. Close to. Yeah. So a little bit cheaper, but not quite as good. But he's got more agility dice, so it can survive fairly well. I think you're going to end up seeing a lot of scum builds with this. A yeah, lot Den- of them. Dengar looks amazing. Dengar with some D- Dengar. What does he get? He gets two attacks. Uh, he, he's he gets free gunner. Yeah, except it's better than gunner because his first attack doesn't have to miss. Yeah. He can get two attacks that both hit. So long as you're attacking him. So every so, round, yeah. So for our audience, if you don't remember what Dengar does, he's a PS9 pilot, 33 points. He has an EPT slot, but his ability is once per round after defending, if the attacker is inside your firing arc, you may perform an attack against that ship. That's awesome. That's two attacks per round. And that guy does decent damage with a three attack dice ship. And it's encouraging you to sort of maneuver well to keep enemy ships in your firing arc, even though you have a turret. Yeah, that's that's strange. But I, I think it's still good, though. I mean, in the end, um, it allows you to do decent damage output. I mean, in the end, I guess, do you run offensive things on this guy because you don't necessarily want to attack him? Or do you run defensive things on him and hope he just gets that shot off multiple times? I would guess probably uh, lots of offense, particularly because Scum doesn't have all the defensive tools that the Rebels do. So you're sort of left with offensive cards, sort of forcing you to attack him or let him get his extra shot off, or he'll just chew through your list and you won't have enough to take him down in the end. Yeah, he looks really... Alex, did you say this thing has a turret? Yeah, the Jumpmaster 5000 has a uh, 360 turret. It looks really good. It looks like this is, I think, going to be a very, very strong portion of the emerging two-ship meta in uh, for Scum. I think that uh, we're going to more often see 
this guy with uh, uh, with and we're no longer just going to see the bees by themselves or not the bees the uh, IG88s by themselves. Um, anyways, so Lyle, what is your game changer for this uh, for this wave? Yeah, I'm not sure yet. I mean, I'm looking forward to all the shenanigans you can play with the uh, the cloaking device. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's going to be excellent. Uh, for me, I'm holding out to see the dials here because, you know, depending on what we see, I think that, you know, that could, especially with the um, the G1A Starfighter, um, you know, if it's got a decent dial, then I'm, I'm most excited about that because it's going to give the scum that filler ship that it needs to run, say, like a three-ship list. I mean, we can get the analog of Jeff's national championship list with two of these guys and a YV or two of these guys and a Jumpmaster. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I don't know. And if they've got, you know, reasonably priced high, high pilot skill pilots with EPTs, then that's even better. So, yeah, right now I'm, I, I dwell with Alex. So you're really hoping that this is possibly a backbone ship for the, uh, for the scum faction. Yeah, definitely. Something that we did not mention on the Jumpmaster that needs to be mentioned. Okay. Is that our boffins have determined through imagery analysis. <laughs> right, that, I like that. That the Jumpmaster 5000 has a white two-speed sloop. That is a sloop. Yes. What the what? Yes. Once again, the Jumpmaster 5000 has a white sloop at speed two. Wait, wait a second. Hold up. Hold up. Is that because it uh, it's it's shaped like a freaking uh, what are they called? Uh, frisbee. <laughs> it's, it's shaped like a boomerang. <laughs> turn right. Turn right. <laughs> so the dial is probably pretty decent. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, I didn't even. That just blew my mind. Every episode, Marky, at least give me one mind blown moment. That's incredible. And they also mentioned in the article that this ship has like one of the first asymmetrical dials, so it may not have a two right bank sloop. That's because the engines are all on one side. Yeah, yeah, and... <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> if you've turned that thing upside down, it'd be perfect for NASCAR. Wait a second, it does turn left better. There you go, directions. Um, all right, cool. All right, well, uh, that's Wave Eight. We'll uh, kind of. Preview more when more comes out, but uh, we're very excited for the wave to come out, and we're excited to play with Wave Seven. Um, now that we have our toys um, coming out very soon, we'll probably do a good job of taking a look at what we like most about the new ships, what we've learned, and we'll kind of go from there. All right, well, I think this about wraps us up. Um, thank you guys for listening to the Scum and Villainy podcast. Uh, I've been your host, Richard White, better known as Kelvin Tiberius. Uh, joining me today was Lyle Hayhurst, better known as Sozin, Alex Robach, better known as the Anti-Grapist, and Mark Fletcher, better known as Sable Griffin. We really appreciate the show. Hope you had fun at Gen Con, and good hunting, guys. Mm-hmm.